hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of The Bible Breakdown. Very excited to be jumping back into our Gospel Project material today. We are going to be talking about Genesis 3, the fall of man. So very dramatic topic on tap for today. Um, So we're going to talk about the first sin, where Adam and Eve, their bliss ends here in Genesis 3. And we've got a sneaky snake and some fig leaves and some fruit, which is not the fruit they were supposed to be eating. So a lot of intrigue. So we're going to be jumping into that. I do just want to go ahead and set some expectation. Um, I'm not going to try to, I'm going to try not to spend too much time on some of the big why questions of Genesis 3. A couple examples. Why was Satan there allowed there in the first place? Why did that tree exist in the first place? Um, What does this have to do with male-female dynamics in popular culture, all those kind of things? Those are very much um, good questions to ask. Um, I don't want to make it seem like they're not good questions to ask. The thing is, a lot of those times we kind of get speculative, and um, it's not that they're not valuable to talk about. It's just they are uh, lengthy topics. And again, they're not uh, a lot of them easily based in scripture. So for the purpose of this particular podcast, I will not be delving too deeply into any of those, though I would encourage you if there's any like questions that come up, anything you'd like to know, please feel free to reach out. I, I may consider doing a Genesis 3 frequently asked questions or something like that. Um, something separate from this, but for this, we're going to try to stick mostly to what the text is, what we do know, um, and do a little bit less speculating about why did God do this? Why did this happen? Blah, blah, blah. That we don't necessarily get a great answer for, but they're questions that are, are good questions to ask and um, have implications on you know how we view God. So they're important, but we won't be covering those too much today. So just wanted to set that expectation. Um, but we are going to read a lot all of through chapter three here. And I think there's just some Awesome time for us to uh, get to dig into our own sin. And I say that a little bit tongue in cheek because it's never it doesn't ever feel awesome to dig into our own issues and see ourselves as sinful. But at the same time, it's so important. And if we are not actively pursuing that repentance and that self um, self reflection that leads to um, just a recognition of sin that the Holy Spirit can bring to our hearts and um, help us recognize when we're not working or we're not living the way that God would have us, it's always very important. So I think we'll see plenty of ourselves in this chapter if we are willing to look. Um, it can be easy to pass the blame, as somebody else in the story is going to do, and think, oh, this is Adam and Eve's fault. But we also have to recognize our own culpability when it comes to sin in our lives. So without further ado, let's start here with just verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So um, we do know from some other places in scripture that this serpent, who we kind of all, I think, if you grew up in the church at all, have heard the story at all, you know that we attribute the serpent to being Satan. Um, We see that Jesus mentions um, to the Pharisees in John, uh, he talks about how um, they're sons of their father, Satan, and that he was a murderer from the beginning. So it kind of alludes back to the beginning. Paul in Romans 16 is going to make a reference to 3.15 and saying, you're soon going to crush Satan under your foot, which is something that's said of the serpent. 
Um, John in uh, the epistles, he's got a little bit about that. I think it's in first John and then uh, a couple of revelation uh, in revelation as well, where um, he alludes to um, the, the beast, that ancient serpent, which of course calls us back to mind here to the beginning. So all that to say, there's not, it doesn't say specifically that it's Satan. And we don't know, is this like Satan taking on the form of a serpent, like a snake, or is this Satan possessing a snake? We don't get any clarity on that either, but we do know that throughout all of Christian history and even elsewhere in scripture, this is understood to be Satan. So I don't want us to get too, um, I don't want us to get lost on that too. I, I think it's easily assumed, but also, we don't want to just assume we want to have a good reason for why we think that so we can know how we're understanding it. So that's kind of where we're at. This serpent comes in and um, it doesn't seem strange to Eve that this snake talks. Um, this apparently went through her grid of how the world operates fairly well. I'm not assuming that all the animals talked, but I don't know. They're brand new. So I feel like probably everything that happens, they're like, I guess this is how this world got created is. So this serpent just so happened to talk to her and seemed fine with Eve. Um, and so Satan starts by questioning God's decree by purposely misstating it. So it sows the deeds or sows the seeds of doubt of God's goodness. So did God actually say you shouldn't eat of any tree in the garden, which of course we know he said, you may eat of any tree in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there's Really, he's kind of pointing to it as this restriction when it's actually a, a lot of freedom that they had there and pointing to this one thing they couldn't. And again, misstating it, but that's not true. And as we go into verse two and three, we're going to see that Eve responds in kind. It says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. So Eve responds here with the truth like, oh, God. God didn't say that. We can eat of the trees in the garden. There's just this one that we're not supposed to. And also, I don't I don't read too much into this whole, um, neither shall you touch it. Some people will say, well, God didn't even say you, they couldn't touch it. So she was making it seem more prohibitive. Um, I feel like that sentiment really falls in line with the command that you shall not eat of the tree. So I think, for example, if you're telling a kid, hey, don't eat that candy, and they walk over to it and they set their hand on it. I don't know about you, but for me, I would be like, okay, this is clearly an act of defiance because like, I'm not eating it. I'm just touching it. And I would view that as an act of defiance. So if uh, Eve was just go over, touch the trunk of the tree or whatever, I feel like God would be like, eh, is that really the heart of what I'm asking you here? Um, so I don't, I don't read too much into that and that she was um, lying about what God said or she was trying to make God seem more restrictive. That's possible, but um, personally, I don't read too much into that but she does she responds to uh, the serpent's question um challenge to god's command and goodness by saying um no he, he actually he didn't say that. he said we could eat of any of the trees so instead it would go with a little bit of a different tactic here in verses four through five it says but the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die for god knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like god knowing good and evil okay so we have a little bit more deception, but it's got some truth thrown in there. So the deception is you will not surely die because we know that death entered the world through sin. So maybe they're not going to die immediately once they bite of it because we know that's not what happens. Um, but they, their death was certain after that moment. 
Um, but then there's also some truth. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God knowing good and evil. Now there is a portion of that in which um, they do start to see their world differently. Okay. They, they do know good and evil. Um, unfortunately it's to their detriment, but there's some truth to what Satan is saying. He's kind of ascribing this uh, prohibition though to God, not wanting them to be like him. Okay. So it's almost like, God didn't want you to eat it because he knows you'll be like him. And he doesn't want that. He wants to be God alone. Now, saying you will be like God is definitely an overstatement um, by the serpent here. Um, there's an aspect in which they will maybe grow in their how they are like God. But if we remember back to the creation of humanity, humanity is created in God's image. So in many ways, we reflect God in ways that no other creation can we are unique we are like god more than any other creation though of course we are nowhere um near uh, his glory his honor his holiness but um we do image god so but what satan is offering here is almost like an equality saying you'll be like god you'll know good and evil okay so that's kind of the appeal he appeals to this desire of being like god instead of how we were designed to be which is reliant on God, to trust God, to know that God is going to provide for us. Um, perhaps they found, uh, Eve found that temptation very, very striking that, hmm, I could actually be like God. I could be wise. I could know good and evil. So uh, moving then into verse six, it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Okay, so uh, Eve, here's what the serpent has to say. Said, you know what, that fruit looks pretty good. And especially that the tree was desired to make one wise, the temptation to be potentially, well, the serpent said I would be like God. Okay, so this temptation, both of how it looked um, and then the potential that um, she believed was possible if she had the fruit, even though she knew she wasn't supposed to, Eve takes it. And then end of verse six, like, oh, and there's Adam. Where's he been? What's he been doing just lurking around while all this is going on? So, um it seems like he must have been there pretty much the whole time. It doesn't say her husband happened upon her. It says her husband who was with her. So um, I think the most uh, likely scenario is that he's been there the entire time and that it's um, he's just kind of chosen not to intervene. Um, he's seeing all this take place, um, but he is hanging in the background just to see what's going to happen. Okay, so they uh, take the fruit. Um, and it says their eyes were open. So they now have a new vantage point. They have a new worldview. They have a new uh, lens through which they are interpreting their events. So then this is uh, perhaps the knowing of good and evil, but more likely they're now feeling and seeing things that they were never designed to see or feel. For example, they had realized a shame. Um, they saw that they were naked and they didn't think that that was okay, even though that's the way they had been created. So ultimately that didn't necessarily make them wise. It in fact opened them up to this new emotion, this new feeling of feeling shame, 
to see that they were naked and to feel ashamed and self-conscious and they hadn't felt that way before. So what do they do? They get some leaves, they sew them together, they make some loincloths and they feel this need to be covered. So they make clothes for themselves. And I think there's kind of two things here at play. First, that they they are seeing the world differently. They uh, took of the fruit and they now have this different lens through which they were seeing the world. And it wasn't the way that they were designed to see it, to recognize that they were naked and to see that it wasn't okay, wasn't how God had designed it. And then second, there's also this kind of imagery of what it means to be sinful and to need to have that sin covered. So part of it, I think, too, is just this recognition of we're not the way that we were before. We're not the innocent beings that we were before. And there's this need to be covered, this need to be hidden, something that's going to come up here uh, in the next paragraph as well. So again, the the serpent um, gives Eve some information. Some of it's true, but it's definitely not the whole truth. And it's definitely not as good as he promised it would be. The thing that they thought they were going to get from disobeying God actually turned out to be to their detriment. That's where the deception comes in. They got a little bit of what the serpent said, but he didn't let them in on the consequences. He lied. He said, you will not surely die. He said, God's keeping this from you. So then in verse eight, God comes in, says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Okay, so this idea we see in scripture, this theme in scripture to walk with God is to um, just be this picture of what it means to be obedient to God. So um, Enoch is uh, the one who got uh, taken up before he died and said that he walked with God. The idea that God is coming to walk in the garden makes you think that Adam and Eve perhaps literally even have been walking with God and able to be in his presence. But now they hear him coming and their instinct is to hide. Their instinct is to make sure that they are not in the presence of God, they recognize that they things have changed. There's this dynamic that has clearly changed. It doesn't sound like when God came walking through the garden, they were normally going to hide because God then asked, Where where are you? And of course we know God knows where they are. But this is um also a recognition too, because he it says the Lord God called to the man and said to him, there's a recognition, too, that the, see, the sin didn't belong to Eve alone. Um, oftentimes, you know, it's oh, Eve ate the apple. And then there's like the counter of like, well, Adam was there and he was being a passive man and it's all his fault. And like the truth is like they both sinned. And there's a recognition of that in scripture, um, both here and uh, elsewhere. Um, we see in uh, 1 Timothy, um, Paul talks about the how the woman was deceived. We see... Um, in Romans 5, by Paul also, um, he talks about how sin entered the world through one man being Adam. So scripture really shows them as both being sinful um, to make it seem like one of them did worse than the other, I think is really missing the point. Um, but definitely no good to pile on either person. 
typically, you know, historically it's going to be, well, it was Eve's fault. She was a woman. She was silly. Um, that's why we can't trust women. Like that's a, that's a real way that people have talked about Genesis three for many hundreds of years. And that is not the picture that scripture paints The picture that scripture paints both here and elsewhere is this mutual accountability, this mutual sin that both of them partook. Um, not that one person forced another person to make a bad decision, right? So God does call to Adam. Again, that's a recognition that he also was culpable in this. Um, and really, again, God knows where they are. This isn't so much a question as it is an invitation. This is a um, Dr. John Gottman. He's a marriage researcher. He would call this almost like a bid for attention. So like, for example, you're sitting at the table and you're reading the weather. You're like, oh, it's supposed to get into the 40s tonight. That's not really just a giving of information, right? You're expecting a response from your spouse, your kids, um, whatever it may be. Um, your brother, sister, mom, dad, you expect them to respond when you say that and say, oh, wow, man, I need to get my coat out of the box because I haven't had to wear a coat in a long time, right? So um, it's not really so much to give information as it is to it's a relational touch point, right? And so I'm not saying that God is desperate for Adam's attention. That's not what I'm going for, but rather this is a relational touch point between God and Adam. He says, where are you? He's not actually, it's almost like a rhetorical question. He knows where he is, but he wants, he wants Adam to respond. He wants Adam to come out. He wants Adam to talk to him. And so he gives this invitation. And so we get into 10 through 13 where they recount what has happened and it says, and he said, this being Adam, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay, so the realization of being naked represents this loss of their innocence. And God knows that this is the consequence of their sin. He knows that they've eaten of the tree. And so when confronted, um, Adam kind of gives this unfortunate blame here. So Adam, we have to see, he, he wasn't the one that was deceived, right? Eve was deceived. He knew what he was doing. He saw this unfolding. Um, he saw that Eve was kind of giving him to this temptation. He wasn't the one that was actually getting deceived. He was there and he just went along for the ride. He, he is a little bit more like, okay, I see how the situation's playing out. I'm like a third party here, um, but I'm still going along with it anyways. And so here he, he doesn't say I was deceived. In fact, he, um, blames Eve for it, um, which can't help, but remember just in the chapter before Genesis 2:23. When God has provided a woman for the man after none of the creation was deemed fit to be a partner for him, he says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This rejoicing, this beautiful gift that God has given to Adam. Now he says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And there's some, there's a, a really just a, a depth there 
to uh, a depth of of pain, honestly, as I read this, a depth of that's not the way it was supposed to be. This isn't the way that he's supposed to treat Eve. This isn't the way that he's supposed to view Eve. This Eve was given to be bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, to be his partner, to be together with him, to be a helper suitable to him. And now um, he's passing the blame and saying, not really even that it's her fault, but just so you know, God, I'm going to remind you, you gave her to me and then she's the one who gave me the fruit. So it's kind of your fault. Adam is effectively blaming God as the one who provided the one whom he's blaming for giving him the fruit. And that I think just can, that really rings with me in a, in a very, just a deep way that, um, if you are married or you desire to be married, the, the way that our relationship with our spouse can get um, diverted from what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this um, beautiful union that um, celebrates the love that Christ has for the church, that exemplifies that love that's meant to be enjoyed. But how often does it just become a, how am I stuck with this person? How did, how is this the lot I have? I can't believe this thing that, he or she did. And we see here in just a, such a, a, a small scale, but it, it rings true, I think, in not even just marriage relationships, but human relationships, these people that have been given to us by God as gifts, as people that are meant to sharpen us, grow us, um, enjoy us, be enjoyed by us. Um, so often we our sin gets in the way of that and just muddies up our relationships with other people. And we forget that the gift, we forget the gift that they truly are. And we see that here as Adam really changes his tune and tune and uh, blames God for providing Eve who brought him in to, on this thing. And then when asking Eve, Eve confesses, uh, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so then we move into this section of um, the effects, the uh, aftermath of sin, the consequences. So we have three curses. First, we have the curse on the serpent. This curse is more about Satan again than actual snakes, right? Um, yes, they do crawl on their belly and they probably get some dust in their mouth while they're on the ground. It's not really about that that much. Um, but then we do see here in 315, we've talked about this before. It's kind of a um, important verse throughout scripture and points us back to God's heart. But this, uh, the Latin proto-evangelium, first gospel, says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This promise that the offspring of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent while he will just have his heel bruised. And so we see this, um, ultimately, the offspring of Adam and Eve being Jesus who um, defeats Satan once and for all, um, even though um, he takes uh, incredible punishment. It's nothing compared to the long-lasting eternal punishment that awaits Satan. Um, he bruises his head while Jesus' heel was bruised, so to speak. Um, it was bad, but it wasn't nearly as bad as the faith that awaits Satan, this punishment that is coming on him. Then we see the curse on the woman. We see that there's going to be Chain, pain, pain in childbearing. And then also um, the way I would take this, um, this is often something that kind of stumps interpreters. They, there's a lot of, if you read different versions of verse 16, that second half, you'll get a lot of different, uh, you'll get a lot of different interpretations throughout the different versions. But um, ESV says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. 
really the way I look at that is um, the marriage relationship is going to be difficult. There's going to be difficulty in your marriage relationship as a result of sin. Um, it's going to be this diff, this tension between my desires contrary, and yet the husband is given this role as the leader in the family, head of the household, and the tension that that brings. Um, and so that's really how I would simplify it is um, there's difficult, there's pain in childbearing, there's difficulty in marriage. That's part of the result of sin. And then we see the curse on the man, uh, difficulty in work, work, we were designed to work, Adam worked before sin. Um, but it's this difficulty now in the work, the work is not going to, uh, it's not gonna be the ground rises to meet you anymore. It's thorns, it's thistles, it's sweat. Um, it's difficult. So even though we are designed to work, sin creates difficulty in our work, not just if we are agriculturalists, but all of our work has difficulty, even though we were designed to work because of sin. And ultimately we see the curse on the man, which of course we know applies to women as well, um, that there's death for you till you return to the ground for out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return this promise that Every person will eventually return to dust and that there will be physical and spiritual death. But then we also, as we finish up this chapter, we see God's redemption again, not just the promise of redemption in 315, which is significant, but also um, this momentary redemption that he gives says the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So remember they're um, naked, they're ashamed. Um, they are not like they were before, but God provides them with garments of skin. He clothes them. He helps cover that shame, self-consciousness that they now recognize in themselves and one another because of sin and uh, we can pretty safely assume that um, these, this garment of skin uh, required a, a sacrifice. And we, I think, know that for a couple of reasons. One, the original readers would most likely have understood it that way. Um, we even get a little picture of something similar in Leviticus 7, 8, one of the laws of the priest says, And the priest who offers any man's burnt offering shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering that he has offered. So this idea that the... Um, the garment that comes from this offering that the priest can um, can keep it, um, but it it calls to mind this scene where there's a a skin that's covering you now as clothes, and it's because an animal was sacrificed. So we see uh, kind of this um, first look into the sacrificial system and how death enters the world. God provided a sacrifice, even though they would eventually die, they didn't die then. So God provided for them through uh, the sacrifice of another. And again, something that's a huge theme throughout all of scripture, as we know. So um, just as we jump into some application, I think some of the uh, sin we see here take place. Um, I just want us to be able to think through that as well. So the first one I see here, and they all start with D because alliteration can be fun. Uh, the first one is doubt. Uh, Adam and Eve doubted God's goodness and his provision. They doubted that he was giving them everything that they needed. Or maybe they thought, well, maybe I want more. They believed God was withholding something good from, that, from them. And we have the same trouble with doubt. We believe that God may be withholding something good from us. Maybe it's 
Uh, I wanted this job, I wanted this house, I wanted this pleasure, this spouse, this money, whatever it may be. Um, we believe when we don't get what we want or we see something that we don't have, we think God's holding out on me. We can be tempted to think maybe God's not as good as he says he is, as I thought he was. We doubt God's goodness. Second thing I see here is this desire. Now, I only put desire again because it starts with B and alliteration can be fun. But really, this is more like a greed. So desire in itself is not bad if it's a desire for a good thing. But they wanted something that wasn't theirs to have. And they weren't satisfied with what they had, even though they had so much. So things like this that we deal with, greed, like I said, lust, envy, um, theft, uh, adultery. Um, though All those things play into, um, I want something that's not mine. And so I want to pursue it. We have this temptation to pursue things that are not ours to have out of this desire, this greed, this lust, this envy. And ultimately we're saying, I want this God. And so I'm going to take it by any means necessary. And then the third I've got here is denial. Um, Adam passed the blame to Eve. Eve passed the blame to the serpent. Oftentimes we when I say we, I mean I, and then maybe you too, I know I do, try to avoid or rationalize sin instead of just owning it and confessing it. Just saying, well, you know, that wasn't that mean of a thing to say. I don't have to apologize for that. Like, oh, I didn't mean it that way. I don't I don't have to apologize for that. Um, well, I didn't do it with malice in my heart. I don't have to apologize for that. Uh, whatever it may be, we often try to avoid rationalize our sin when ultimately we just need to come out and say, yep, God, I, I've sinned. Yes, person I've sinned against, I've sinned. I ask your forgiveness. So um, this first sin is uh, is not limited to the garden. This first sin results in all the sin that we have now. Um, we are born with sin. We also all choose sin. So we can't just be playing the blame game with them either. But uh, I hope this is an opportunity to just look, take an honest look at our lives and realize the sin that we have in our lives and what God has truly provided.